Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. the executive director of Sisters in Crime, and I'm delighted to welcome Brad Shreve to the podcast today. Brad is the author of the Mitch O'Reilly Mystery Series. When younger, he focused on visual arts. Inspired by Gary Trudeau's Doonesbury, he developed a comic strip, Certain, a syndicate would distribute it globally. In the process, he found he enjoyed writing over sketching and changed his goal. Authors such as Lawrence Block and Gregory MacDonald fueled his passion for mysteries, but it took his discovery of LGBTQ crime fiction to nudge him to go beyond dabbling the keys. To introduce others to the subgenre, he created and hosts the Queer Writers of Crime podcast, and we're here to talk about his writing and also about the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Brad. It's so good to see you. Well, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. And I love to talk about both subjects. I love to talk about me anytime. So <laughs> I'm my favorite subject. Well, that's not a bad thing. Right? <laughs> well, let's start with the writing because, you know, I always start with the same question, but everyone has a different answer. And I love that you started as a visual artist. So I, I think that this, you know, I, I want to talk about that a little bit as well. But when did you say to yourself, I, I want to write a novel? Well, I've always toyed with it even, even before I got more involved with the visual arts. I mean, from the boxcar children and, and Encyclopedia Brown really got my interest in mystery going, even though... Encyclopedia Brown always beat me. I could never figure it out. <laughs> Looking back as an adult, I've read a few, and I'm like, how could I not figure that out? Um, and it was really um, my side of the mountain. Uh, let me think of it. Jean Craighead George. Mm -hmm. That was the first book that made me think, well, first made me want to go live in the mountains. Um, but that was the first one that I just was like, wow, the, this this is really reaching out to me. That and uh, Where the Wild Things Are was, I guess that was a mix of the visual and yeah. written word. Both of those, at different points in my life, I said, wow, I think I can do this. I want to do this. And so what was the journey, you know, did you uh, study writing or, or visual arts in college? Or what, what's your journey as an artist been like? I studied more in visual arts, and mm -hmm. it's funny because uh, in sketch class, you know, we had the nudes or whatever, and we're sketching them. My, my instructors will always come up and say, you know, it looks more like a cartoon than a drawing. And I thought, well, that's actually a good thing. Um, so I, I had, a, and I did a lot of painting at that time, and that was more where my focus was. You know, my, my writing really was in high school, I had an English teacher who, I was late every day. Every, every, every paper was a day late. And she loved my work. And she said, I would never try to push you to get a day early. You would get A's, but I know that wouldn't work for you. You need those B's because you have to be a day late. And then in college, I did a little bit of it too. But 
in all honesty, I got, I got sidetracked. Uh, I was working in the Hallmark store for a friend. She was the manager and needed some help, so I helped her out. And the human resource director from local Marriott Hotel was in there buying a bunch of cards for all the birthdays for that month. And I jokingly told her, you know, I, I filled out an application to work part-time, and you guys never called me. And she's like, oh, you need to come to my office. And next thing I know, I was a bellman, <laughs> and I had almost a 20-year career with Marriott. And when I ended, every opportunity to promote, I went after and I got. So to my own horn, but I can't say I was, I was happy. And I'd right, finally reached the pinnacle, well, almost the pinnacle. I was uh, area director of reservation sales uh, for the Northwest region. And what that means is I oversaw a reservation center as well as reservation offices. The reservation center was globally, but most of my focus in my position was hotels from Monterey up to Alaska. Mm-hmm. And it was a great career. I had, you know, I finally had the secretary and the nice office and everything else. And I was miserable and my job performance was going down and, and it was a long route to get here. I, you know, I eventually left that job, went to another that was almost identical to the first one I had. Uh, and then I went through some rough years and in, um, I'll, I'll be I had some alcohol and drug abuse uh, and I really struggled after getting sober. I've been sober for 19 years. And I was finally diagnosed with bipolar disorder, mm-hmm. which I will tell you was one of the best days of my life because I was able to look back and say, oh, it all makes sense now. At least I have a word for it. And I was going, when you take med, when they're trying to find the right meds, one med doesn't work for anybody else. So you actually can spiral or even a worse position. And I had this coffee table book called Men Together, and it had large um, photos of both famous and not famous gay couples. And there was, and I was not able to work this time. I, I just, my head wasn't there. And I read one of the stories about one of the couples, and one of them said, I realized having bipolar disorder and my inability to work uh, and I want to stress, many people with bipolar are able to go back to work, but he was not, and I was struggling. He said, I realized since I was never going to be able to work for anyone else, I needed to figure out what I wanted to do so I could work for myself. And I, it, it was one sentence, and it, it was like, wow, I think I have my answer. I've been putting off writing for decades, and that's really what I love to do. And that's where it began. Wow. So did you, um, I love that story and that journey. And I think that that's one that a lot of uh, artists, um, certainly maybe not the complete, um, this exact same journey, but, but finding that moment where you're like, this is, this, this is the answer. Let me, let me do this for, for a bit. Um, did you start taking classes or workshops or how did you work on the craft? I took a few work uh, work classes, but really I focused on doing a lot of reading, um, just mm-hmm. reading books I like, uh, reading books on writing. Some were wonderful, some were terrible, um, and joining a critique group. Mm-hmm. And that's um, and I stayed in touch with a lot of well known successful writers, 
And this is a little tip I'm going to give to anyone out there trying to get going. Writers are wonderful people, and they love connecting and helping other people. But there is a time issue. So I didn't bug one person. I had a series of people that I chose, and I would ask questions, ask for help, get support. But I never hit one at the time. I would cycle them through, so it was just an occasional question for mom. Even Sue Grafton's office got back in touch with me. I think it was her son-in-law. Now, he didn't have as much time as the others did, but at least they responded because writers love writers. And that was really how my writing journey began. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, and going to conferences and meeting people and, and just finding a critique group that works for you. I mean, all of those things, we need community. And that's counterintuitive to what a lot of writers think, but it's, it's absolutely crucial for the journey. I was impressed with how well critique group helped me, uh, both what to do and what not to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, and it's finding, again, finding that good critique group who yes. <laughs> you can work with because yes. bad critique groups can be, be damaging. Um, so what, you know, tell me, why crime fiction? You know, Encyclopedia Brown, I think a lot of us share that. Um, but, um, but why crime fiction? What, what drew you to that? You know, I just kind of read different novels, a lot of literary works and, and um general stories like I enjoyed Fanny Flagg and and then I stumbled on you named his name uh Fletch series Gregory McDonald mm-hmm. and I loved the Fletch series not only because it was mystery which I've always liked but it was very funny and then after after McDonald I read some others that increased my image and when I found Lawrence Block I was wowed mm-hmm. and what I love about Lawrence Block is he has his madcap, silly burglar series, which I love. And he has his dark Matthew Scudder series. And the fact that one man can do both brilliantly, Mm -hmm. I hope to one day be able to aspire to that. Because uh, I would say if it was one person, he was it. He was was the main catalyst that said that I learned I loved mysteries. So, Lawrence, if you're listening, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And do you love the puzzle of them, or is it the characters, or is it just the the narrative focus on solutions? I mean, what 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 about mysteries? Because I, I, you know, there's so many different ways in, um, and certainly admiring someone like Lawrence Block if he'd written, you know. Romance, you probably would have written romance, but yeah. which would be interesting. A romance by Lawrence Block would be very <laughs> That would be interesting. <laughs> um, but was it, you know, do you enjoy the, the setup, the characters? I mean, what, what about it lights you up as a writer? Well, it's all the above. I certainly enjoy the puzzle. And I think like most writers, I enjoy that justice is served in the end in one way or another. In most, there's the exceptions that it's not served and, and it's still a good novel. But we pretty much want, I tell people all the time, that's the happily ever after in a, in a crime novel yep. is we know justice will be served. And But what I really love about mysteries, probably more than any other uh, genre, is you have a cast of different characters. And... A good writer, of which there are so many out there, thank God, 
can just bring so many different characters to life and have them interact in one book. Uh, that's what I just love to do. And I love to develop new characters for my own novels. So what's your writing process like? Well, um, I am a plotter. And I love Save the Cat. Yeah. Uh, so what I did is I created an Excel spreadsheet based entirely on Save the Cat. And before I begin a novel, I plug in each scene where it will fit on the Save the Cat diagram. Now, I will say what I end up with. Maybe absolutely nothing with what I did on my spreadsheet. Yeah. But I need that spreadsheet to get out the gate. Yeah. For example, in my first novel, I absolutely knew who the killer was. And it, and it hit me three quarters of the way through, oh, no, this is a much better storyline. So I had to go back and make a bunch of changes, which drove my editor crazy, and made it a different, different one. And I think it was a much better ending than it would have been otherwise. Yeah. Um, yeah. As far as that, um, a curse... A blessing and a curse for me is I love dialogue. Just love dialogue. I can just sit and write and write, and then I'll look down, and I'm like, oh, my God, I have 12 pages of dialogue here. And some have said I probably should be a screenwriter. Mm -hmm. uh, so then I have to go back and, let's say, just fill in the blanks. <laughs> uh, I adore uh, conversations, and that I find that that is usually what comes out first. It does, in the end, make my novels uh, very dialogue-heavy, which mm -hmm. some have praised and others have said is terrible. You know, everybody has a different opinion, and everybody likes something different. Well, it's interesting, too, because you talked about your um, visual arts and, and, you know, being inspired by Doonesbury. And, and so the visuals are there. So you, the stories, you know, it makes sense to me that you, you probably picture it all in your head, but you don't need it because you've already drawn it in your head. You just need to get the dialogue in the, in the squares to get the story told. That is probably my biggest challenge. People were like, like, where were they? What were we doing? I'm like, it's not, it's obvious. And they're like, no, it's not. I look, I'm like, well, it was obvious to me. <laughs> so again, thank God for critique groups. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's so interesting how different people's brains think, because some people are great at description and terrible at dialogue. So, you know, both facets are important for sure. Um, so let's talk about a little bit about the podcast, but also about, you know, I'm not even going to call it a subgenre because I, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, do that. Um, mm -hmm. But there's, you know, LBGTQIA plus crime fiction mm -hmm. is, is a um, category in some stores. So like five years ago, um, uh, Actually, the former president of Sister in Crime was at a panel that Sisters in Crime was hosting, and Greg Heron was there, and he was talking about how he wished his crime novels were just in the mystery section and weren't in the you know gay fiction section. Or you know, there's there's a there's a way that um, we don't mainstream or hadn't been mainstreaming, um, you know, gay protagonists or 
protagonists of color or, you know, writers of color or, or LBGTQIA writers. Um, I think that we've had some changes, but your podcast is one of the ways that we highlight um, the creators of crime fiction <laughs> who happen to be LBGTQIA. And, and you know, I, I love that sort of, um, conversation that you're having and that you're so that people can't say, well, I didn't know, or I can't find any or something. It's like, well, <laughs> let me yeah. tell you, I'm having conversations with people. Um, listen, so tell me about what made you do the podcast, what I just got wrong and anything I said, I'm, I'm happy to, um, to, to be corrected, but um, how you've seen sort of the crime fiction genre expanding uh, in the past few years and, and what that means. Um, it's funny you brought up Greg Heron because we've had, the, he and I've had this discussion many times about back in the old days, Walden Books and Barnes and Noble, they had the gay and lesbian section and I wasn't out of the closet. So I would wait till nobody's looking and get into the, over to that corner. And it was great. There were all these books and somebody pointed out to me, and I realized later, it was always next to the self-help section. Always. Uh, it was pointed out to me two years ago. I was like, you're, my God, you're right. It always was. And uh, that was great because you knew where to find them. The problem I had is most of them there were literary fiction or nonfiction. You know, what it mm -hmm. means to be gay or studies about um, that sort of thing. And now it's moved into, for better or worse, uh, in the stores, there's no gay and lesbian sex. If you walk into most bookstores, uh, they're mixed in with, I hate the term, mainstream, because mm -hmm. gay and lesbian fiction is my mainstream. But anyway, people will, right. people will connect when I say it's mixed in with the mainstream. And I remember I was at, I think it was Barnes & Noble, and I said, where is the gay and lesbian section? She said, oh, we don't have one. Um, they're just mixed in. And I'm like, so if I want a, a, a LGBTQ mystery, I have to look through there? And she said, yeah, isn't that a wonderful thing that it's just become so common? that?" And I thought, it is and it isn't. Because it is in the sense that I think people have become more accepting. We're not there yet. It may take a while. Yeah. On the other side, if I want LGBTQ fiction, I almost always have to go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble, and Amazon really because they're the. And despite I do, I'm exclusively on Amazon. I am not a fan of the company. Uh, Some of my books there, I feel like I sold my soul. But it is the best place to find LGBTQ fiction uh, of mm -hmm. any kind, including uh, mystery. Um, what that led me to was kind of searching for uh, queer novels, and I came across a lot of romance and erotica. And I really thought that's all there was. That was it. And if I was going to be a writer, I'm going to have to do that. So knowing that I wanted to be a mystery writer, I had sketched out and was writing a romance novel with a mystery theme, which are wonderful. You know, they have those on, um, oh, mm -hmm. the Hallmark Channel. You know, it's, it's a yeah. romance, but there's a mystery in it. Those are great. But I'm not a fan. And I even took classes. An uh, uh, editor from one of the major um, queer publishers gave classes on how you fill in the blanks for a mystery because they're more formalized than mysteries are. And 
I just struggled. I struggled for, I think, seven years. And there were two books that Mark McNeese um, wrote, Murder at Pride Lodge, and Jeff Sherman wrote, At First You Fall. And those were the first two novels I stumbled on. I think it was Mark McNeese's first. And I'm like, this is really cool. What an oddity. And then I found uh, Jeff Sherman's book, and then I started finding others and more and more. And I can't tell you how excited I was. And I scrapped that whole romance. It is in my first book, but it's flipped. Yeah. Uh, and I, I will tell you the readers like it. It's probably a little more on the romance side than I like, but it's because that was what was written. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so now the readers have expectations I didn't necessarily want them to have, but uh, it's still, I, I think it's a good mystery. Uh, and that, after I published my first novel and got to know a lot of crime writers, I realized that if I didn't know about it, there must be oceans of people that aren't aware mm-hmm. that we exist. Mm-hmm. And I need to shout this from the rooftops. And I don't, I wasn't even a podcast listener. I don't even know how I came up with the idea of a podcast. But I told my husband, I said, you know what, when I'm done with my next novel, which will be probably six months, uh, I may start a podcast. And that'll give me time to look into the idea. The very next month, I announced I was (laughs) starting a podcast. And I did. Uh, And it was great. Right off the bat, I had incredible writers. I've never, Mm -hmm. ever had a problem uh, getting authors on my show. Uh, mm-hmm. We're 100, 103 episodes in, and wow. I have so many. I, ha- I haven't scratched the surface. There's so many out there. And I, I love talking with experienced authors, most of them who become friends. So it's kind of nice to just chat with them. But I love talking to new authors and helping them get a leg up that we all wish we had. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of fun. I will yeah. say... To be a guest on my show, I don't read, I read the book, but if they're on, I may or may not like the book because, yeah. you know, it's subjective. Uh, we do give book recommendations on my show, so they may not appear in one of the book recommendations. But as a, as a guest, I, you know, if, uh, as long as it's a mystery and primarily mm-hmm. mystery, uh, they can be a guest on my show. And mystery is such a a big tent. I mean, there's there's so many types of mysteries, and mm-hmm. and you've certainly you've had, you know, thriller and cozy, and I mean, some pi and police procedurals and all sorts of um, of of novels and authors on on the um, on the show. Um, do you, as you said, I mean, there's so many. Um, authors out there. And this is such a great way to highlight when we talk about going to a bookstore, which I still love to do. Mm -hmm. It is interesting in this world of so much information that no one bookstore can do what a Google search Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. can do as far as like, this is exactly what I want. Give me more. I mean, I'm forever typing in a favorite author or TV show I like and say, give me recommendations for something like this um, to see. And so you're, you're helping people um, find a whole, tap into a whole new genre for them um, that 
I, I mean, it's that, that that's tremendous service to not only the authors, but to, as you said, the readers who are just desperately trying to find something that connects with them and their human experience. Yes, most of the feedback I get are from avid readers that say, well, I love your show. You introduced me to, to authors I'd never heard of. And some of yeah. them have been fantastic. I get more than that of than, thank you, I'd never heard. I never knew this genre existed. I would love to see that flip around. That's my goal. Uh, I'm going to be promoting the show much more uh, this year and next year to, to make that happen. Yeah. And for folks who don't know, it's going to be in the show notes, but it's called Queer Writers of Crime, and it's on all the different podcast channels. Um, and, you know, as as you mentioned, you've got 100-plus episodes, so yes. <laughs> you can fill some time if you're looking for something to do. Um, but, you know, the conversations are, are also important and part of – Again, we're sort of at a, an interesting time where we, we, I, I love what you said about it's both a blessing and a curse that there isn't a, an LBGTQ section in most bookstores anymore. Um, you know, we, we can niche down so much, mm -hmm. but at the same time, the opportunity is also for people who aren't in the LBGTQIA plus community to find new authors and and explore new books and and you know be present for for an experience that may not be their own, but is there's common humanity in all these these books as well. Um, and so I think that it's an important part of the conversation is to to make sure people don't read too narrowly as well, or, you know, ignore some books or some authors or, or anything else because of, um, you know, some preconceived notion of it's not for me because that's not true either. Well, I preach on my show many times that if you're a gay or lesbian, bisexual, uh, transgender author and go read some mainstream straight novels, don't just, read this narrow scope. There's some incredible, like I said, Lawrence Block, um, uh, Susan in uh, the Burglar series, she's a lesbian, but she could be anybody, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, that's as close as that gets to, to being a queer novel. I really try to read out, outside the crime genre. It's very, very difficult for me because I really like it. Uh, but I try to push myself. And mm -hmm. I... I tell writers all the time, if you would like straight people or those that identify as straight to read your novels, you need to be willing to do the same because a good book is a good book. That's the important part. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yes. And, and I suspect that, um, they need that advice less than, um, people who identify as straight need that advice to, to read outside. That is true. Right? That is true. Your experience. That is yes. true. <laughs> I I don't read my own reviews. I have somebody that reads them for me and then yeah. gives me uh, a synopsis of trends that are being said. Uh, but I do read other re other people's reviews, and it's so disheartening when I read. Well, I I wouldn't have picked it up if I knew it was a gay novel. Um, mm. <laughs> I was, I did read one of one review I had. It was on one of my audiobooks, and the man said there was all this gay thing, and I guess. 
from the title and the blurb, I should have known better. Well, the title of my book is A Body in a Bathhouse. So, <laughs> and the blurb makes it clear as day, and it's listed under LGBTQ uh, mystery suspense. So, yes, he should have known better. If that's not, he wanted, not what he wanted to read, he should have known better. But, you know, whatever. It, 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 it's sad to me when I see that. Um, yeah, uh, of course. Because... Is it Margaret Truman? Yeah, Margaret Truman. Okay, I really enjoy her books, and, and I got into that series for a while. And uh, uh, as long as, as far as I know, she's straight, but I don't know. Her novels well, certainly have a straight theme. theme. <laughs> um, well, and also, you know, President's Daughter, not many of us share that experience in life either. <laughs> no, she has an advantage we none of us have. None of us have. Um, I think that this is an important conversation to have um, and to, to highlight. Um, but it's also, you know, um, you're a writer and, and there's that commonality of, of other folks um, on listening to this podcast have that experience. So let's talk a little bit more about your own writing. You write a series. Um, are you ever thinking about standalones or new series or where are you with projects? I mean, how do you, how do you come up with ideas? Well, I've only written, published two in my series and I'm working on the third. I have another series that I almost want to scrap this third book because I'm dying to start this next one. Uh, but I will finish and continue with the series that I have. So don't worry. Uh, there is a standalone I started writing and it was part of a theme. It was a, it was a collection of us that were writing uh, similar novels and we're going to be promoting them together. And I didn't really understand. It was, they were dark sexual novels uh, with a crime. And I thought I could do that. That sounds interesting. Well, I didn't understand what they meant was like uh, a person is kidnapped and at the end, of the end, they fall in love with their kidnapper. And all the stories oh. were like that. And I'm like... Okay, I'm done. I, I think I need to bow out. But I feel like what I wrote, which is a little over halfway, was pretty damn good. I, it was the first time I experienced being on the keys and my heart is racing and I'm sweating and my heart is pounding. I'm like, okay, I think this is going well. Uh, so I do hope to get back to that one day. Yeah. Uh, it was yeah. a good, it was a, it, I enjoyed it, but uh, I ended up going back to the second book in the series instead. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's always it's always interesting to um have these little ideas that just sit and percolate until you have a moment and it's like, oh wait a sec. Yeah. Let me get back to that. Yeah, I, um, I, I do prefer a series myself, so that is why I tend to write them, but I have some other ideas for for um standalones as well. So what's the best and the worst piece of writing advice you've ever been given? The worst piece of writing advice is Oh, let me think here, because there's there's a few. Um, <laughs> uh, I will say the worst. It's a toss-up between show, don't tell, uh, which we know is mostly true, but it terrifies newbies that they can never show. Yes. I mean, yes. it just paralyzes them. So I think that is is drilled into people's heads way too often as well as never use adverbs because uh, that forces people to struggle for hours when it may be perfectly appropriate to put an adverb there. Yes. So they're both good general 
things to keep in mind, but there, to me, there are no rules. Uh, yeah. No. <clears throat> Both excellent points. I mean, I think the adverb thing certainly can derail a lot of different people in different ways, right? Yes. And what's the best piece of advice you've gotten? Write what feels uh, right for you, regardless of what the market wants. Yeah. And I will admit, I'm struggling with this one now. Be and you're struggling because? Well, I'll give a little way of my, my first novel in, and my first and second novel. In my first novel, you know, I kept the romance that I was writing, but I really, I thought I toned it down a lot, that it wasn't that much. Well, readers really latched on to it and held it much closer than I ever expected. And in the second novel, they had some trouble. We'll just put it that way. So now everybody's wondering what's going to happen in the third novel. And I don't know yet. I, I have several ideas written down, and I haven't decided which of the routes to take. Uh, and I, read one, I did read one of my reviews on Goodreads, because I do occasionally sneak in and take a peek. And somebody didn't, they liked the book, but they didn't like the way that was going. And what they wrote is, I hope Brad isn't taking the same route that Marshall Thornton did in blank, I don't want to spoil her, or that Jeffrey Round wrote in blank. And that is ending one relationship so they can make the story more interesting by going on to other relationships. And I read that, I'm like, so that, you know, I don't want to feel like I have to write to them, but of course that sticks with me. Right. So now it's a challenge. I really don't know which route I would have taken, but now I kind of want to do what they want, and I also want to fight what they want. So yeah. I'm still weighing it. I think I know which route I'm going to take, and I'm not going to say. Uh, but the write what feels right to you is, is definitely the best advice I've gotten. You know, it's interesting. The romance in mysteries um, can be a tricky wicket for a lot of people. Um, I had a friend who, uh, in like the eighth book in the series, broke a couple up and she got hate mail. I mean, not just mm -hmm. like, gosh, that was, a, <laughs> she got hate mail about it. Mm -hmm. And it's also with your first book, you know, if you'd known it was going to be a longer series, maybe you would have slowed the romance down or you would have, you know, I mean, it's, it's so you learn as a writer and I don't think readers quite understand that you're trying to write a series and pace and do this yeah. and do that. And, you know, being stuck in a, in a, and a romantic partnership is not working out for your character development. <laughs> yes. You know, I bring up on my show a lot that it used to be, and actually I read something from the 20s, uh, uh, rules on how to write a mystery. And it said, on, it said some really crazy things in there. But one of them is, don't get into your sleuth's private life because nobody cares. They want to yeah. solve the puzzle. And that was probably true for a good long while. It's not true anymore. People no. want to... Uh, Yes, they want the, the, the puzzle solved, they, and, but they want to get to know this character. If they're going to really care, they need to get to know them. And I, I don't know. I could be wrong. I think that started in the 60s, maybe 70s. I mean, Miss Marple, we knew she had a nephew and a few other things, but we really didn't know her. And Sam Spade, we knew that he liked to drink and he liked women and women liked him. But that was about it. So I'm glad to see that has changed, but it can come up to bite you. Yeah. And... and I'm going to get on my soapbox here. One of the problems I see is 
at least in the LGBTQ mystery genre, is there are a good number of romance writers that it is a romance with a mystery, which is great. It's an old trope, and I think they're wonderful stories, but they put them in the mystery category. So we have a lot of people that have now have it in their mind that that is what a mystery is. So they read one that doesn't have a romance or where the you know, a love interest dies or, or that sort of thing, and they're outraged because that should never. And I tell people all the time, uh, I, I don't even guarantee a happy ending other than the crime will be solved. I, yeah. uh, I was on another podcast and they said, well, Mitch is my protagonist. So does that mean that you may eventually kill Mitch off? And I said, Mitch is written in first person, don't you remember? So I'm not going to have him speaking from the grave. No, I will not do that. Uh, but there may, blank pages. <laughs> there may be other things that go on in his life. Uh, I used Paul Newman's The Verdict as a really good example, which was a great movie. Mm-hmm. And I hope I remember it right. He was a down-on-his-luck, drunken attorney. And he gets this case of a lifetime. And in the end, uh, he wins the case and the family gets a fortune. But when all is said and done, and he gets a fortune, but when all is said and done, he's still a down and out drunken attorney. Yeah. I like that because life doesn't always, I I don't always want that. I just want to be surprised. I don't want to know that this couple is going to have a happily ever after. They may or may not. To me, that's yeah. much a fun a mystery as the mystery itself. Yeah, this is, I mean, I'm going to generalize here, but I feel like on television, uh, you know, I notice, I think that British um, TV shows are much more willing to let cranky people stay cranky and awful people stay awful. Yes. And you still watch them and you still, whereas in America, we need to teddy bear them or make them likable or, you know, give them something redeeming. And the Brits are like, no, there's nothing redeeming about this person, but he's a really good detective. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Game shows are example. British games, game shows are really hard. And you have a lot of people that fail. In the United States, we make game shows so a lot more people win. You know, the price is right. Yeah. Come on. We do have Jeopardy, but that's about it. Uh, yeah. Because Americans want winners. They want yeah. a happy ending. And, yeah. and they want it in their reading as well as in their game shows. Yeah. Yeah, no. I think the reader expectation and what you're talking about with romantic suspense and how people get hooked into the genre because it might be under mysteries but their their expectations aren't right is so it's really that's smart i i had you know i think that's worth a conversation too maybe you know at the conference sometime we should talk about (laughs) that's a very long conversation yeah no really interesting but a great one um i love that at the beginning of this we started uh where i'd love to end it and talking about the importance of community and of building community and finding community. How has community helped you, uh, certainly in your podcasting, but in your writing? How, how has that supported you? Well, as I said in, in the beginning, I wrote, reached out to um, some writers that uh, I aspired to, or I admired and were successful, wondering if they would respond. And every one of them responded, and they're all friends of mine now. And... I was surprised at how accessible other authors were. I mean, even for myself, after my second novel, a uh, uh, reader 
sent me a messenger on Facebook. And I responded and chatted with him. And he's like, I never expected an author to respond to me. Yeah. And I'm like, I wrote two books. Nobody knows my name. Uh, it's nice that they put us on a pedestal. But I told one guy, that's my job. That's all it is. Uh, it's a, a damn good job that not everybody can do, but it's just a job. Uh, and so getting to know so many writers that I can bounce ideas off or – uh, what do you th- what do you think of this? And and I will say my podcast has helped tremendously. Uh, mm-hmm. I've become friends with people, a large number of people, because of my podcast that I highly admire, and it's given me opportunities that uh, I never expected. My my goal was to get a word out, it, mm-hmm. and I've been benefited so many ways from it. Um, and I will, I will add even my book sales because, as you know, the show went on hiatus for seven months. And people told me, I think your book sales are probably still doing well because you're showing. I'm like, yeah, maybe. And uh, so I expected a dip when I uh, went on hiatus. I didn't expect the drop. So yeah. uh, that wasn't what brought me back. What brought me back is I love, I love doing the show. And, and I had so many emails from uh, listeners saying, when are you going to come back? Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't just financial, just, uh, you know, I, I'm invited on an all-expense trip to a writer's retreat, flights, food, housing. Uh, that would never have come across. Uh, yeah. I, to stumble on that was amazing. Um, and, you know, to have writers that, that I really admire send me an email, I didn't know they were re- reading their book, and to say, I really liked your book. And I don't know if they would have found it other than the podcast. So yeah. I, I've got, I had a sense of community growing before then, but now I have a really strong community. And it's not just a podcasting community. It's, that's how I got to know them. And some of them mm-hmm. got to know each other. I've had panels and that sort of thing. I think I brought a connection uh, all around. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's, it's been successful in that way. Well, Brad, I think what, what, uh, you know, in talking to you, I, I hear is uh, that, you know, you've also got a passion for this and, you know, you're of service. Your your podcast is of service. And that's important, too, because while, it, of course, it's a good marketing tool and can, can do other things, that can't be the only reason you do it. You really need to feel strongly about the subject or, or about what you're talking about, which you obviously do. And and podcasting, Queer Writers of Crime, is of service to the community. And that's that's a great thing. And that was needed. It was a it was a void that you're filling. Um, and other people may go in and join the conversation in their own way, but um, it's it's really tremendous that you do that for the community. Yeah, I work for a podcast host uh, on a side job. Just I do contract work for them. And I tell a lot of new podcasters or people that are interested in podcasting that they want to get rich. And I say, you better love what you're talking about, too. Because if you really want to get rich, there's a lot easier ways in the world than going through yep. podcasting. Podcasting is a very difficult way to get rich. So you have to love what you're doing. It's the same true as for writers. You know, a lot of yes. people think, oh, I'm going to get rich and travel around the country on book signings, and, and they just start writing. And like I learned with romance, you've got to love what you're writing. I have no issue yeah. with romance. It's just not my thing. My no. husband enjoys it. Uh, yeah. And even if I enjoy it, I don't enjoy it enough to, to want to make a career out of it. 
And again, if you want to be rich, there's there's far easier ways to get rich than writing. There's only very few of us that do that. Well, and again, great point that I I think can't be said too often. You need to love the genre you're writing in. I mean, you really do because it's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And if you don't love it, you know, if you're writing to the market, and only to the market, but you really don't love it, you're, you're going to have the experience you had where it's like, I'm writing a romance, but my heart isn't there. You know, let me drop a body. I'm good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. This is where I want to go. Yeah. And, you know, a few years after your book releases, or maybe you don't have to wait that long, sit down and read your book. And yeah, you're going to criticize your whole way through. But in the done, you, and when you're done, you may say, you know, I would have bought that book. Yeah. That's a good yeah. feeling. No, it's a really good feeling. And your books are out there, which is fabulous. Um, So thank you so much for this conversation. Uh, Thanks for for what you're doing, you know, for the uh, podcasting community and uh, and the the conversations you're helping other people have. And, uh, you know, what's what's next? What are you working on right now? I am working on the third book of the Mitch Riley series. And uh, that is going to be called A Body, Some Bears, and a Blade. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll let you wonder about that. Uh, it's a great title. <laughs> it's a little. It's a little. I've always had humor in the first two books. It's, it's this one could be a little lighter than the others, uh, okay. which is kind of fun. Yeah. And then the new series I have is it starts in January one, twenty twenty, and there is uh-huh. not a lot of information on being gay in LA during that time period. Because unlike New York and Chicago and San Francisco, it was much more hidden because L.A. at that time was very conservative. They were not happy all these uh, decadent movie studios were coming in and bringing in all these wild actors. Uh, They used to have neighborhood brigades that were supported by the police that uh, searched out indecent behavior. Uh, So I like the idea of First, having, having a sleuth that doesn't have a cell phone on them, and because I currently don't have that luxury, because it is a contemporary novel. And secondly, dealing with what it must have been like to to be in a gay man when an era when you could be jailed or sent to a psych ward. Yeah, absolutely. So you had said at the beginning of this, you were focusing on January uh, 20, 2020, I think. So it's 1920. So you're, yes. you're, this is 100 years. So you're writing a historical. Yes, forgive me. Which is so much work. Yes. I, 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 I hat tip to anyone who writes historical fiction because the people who read it really want accuracy. <laughs> yeah. I will. I called uh, the one library, which is at the University of Southern California, which is considered the the best LGBTQ uh, history library in the world. And I said, I'm looking for information on Los Angeles in the 20s. And they said, eh, your job is done. There's not a whole lot. Uh, I did do a little more research and there's more than they made me believe, but it, it's hard yeah. work. It is hard work. Yeah, no, especially, I mean, that's particular experience, mm-hmm. um, you know, you'll, you'll, yeah, I, w- I wish you luck. I mean, that's part of the, the discovery of it, but that's a lot of work. So that's, it's exciting. It's mm-hmm. exciting. Yeah, but a lot to work on. <laughs> and, and it's going to be another uh, PI. I, I like mm-hmm. PIs uh, rather than uh, cops because they can bend the rules. You know, I can have them yeah. climb into windows and that sort of thing. And I hope to do an amateur sleuth somewhere down the road. I'm, I'm 
Yeah. Chomping at the bit to do that, though I, I only have very minor ideas in my head. Yeah. Well, I hope they, I hope they multiply. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for a great conversation. Well, thank you for asking me. I really enjoyed it. You're a pleasure to talk to. As are you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international, inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.